We're going through a, a series, actually all summer long we've been going through characters. Uh, the, the series, this, it's just three sermons. We did one last week. I introduced the character our focus is upon. It's upon Balaam. Now if you weren't with us last week, Balaam is in that book of, the, of Numbers. It's during the time of, of their travels. Uh, after, after the exodus, after they left Egypt, were, were taken out of bondage. And, and right before they entered into the promised land. It's right in that area that we're talking about. Balaam hit, hit right there. Matter of fact, Balaam uh, comes into play as the children of Israel on the east side of the Jordan River. It's getting closer and closer to that time that they're going to cross the Jordan and, and begin to take over that promised land that God had laid out for them. Now, we... If you're familiar with those, the, the, the period of time that I just spoke of, a lot of troubles. There's a lot of troubles. Matter of fact, even at the beginning, Pharaoh decides in his anger and everything to mount up his army and go after the children of Israel defenseless in the desert, you know, with all his chariots. Of course, God wipes him out with a, the waters crashing down upon him. But, but then even last week, as we were talking about Numbers chapter uh, 22, the fact that, you know, Og... Uh, king of Bashan, uh, that Amorite, and Sion, king of the Amorites, they, they both attacked that nation. That's trouble, right? But, but if you think with me a little bit, if you took time to read through maybe the last part of Exodus and all of Numbers, you would see it, it seems like a lot of the troubles that they faced was of their own doing. Let me give you just a few examples. You know, there's, there's Moses who goes up on the mountain to have that communication to God to receive the law from him. And the people down below, you know, they're going, hey, the guy that we've been following is gone. And, and so let's create a God or gods so we could follow. And so they create, create the golden, golden idol. You know, long story is short, 3,000 were slain. And God laid a plague upon the people of Israel after that. They started making their way towards the north, towards the promised land. And, and Moses instructs 12 spies to go into the promised land and check it out. Come back and bring us a report. They bring back a report. Man, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. They show some of the produce from that land. And, and, and they're all excited about it. Well, at least two of them were. Because ten said, hey, and there's giants that live there. They will wipe us out. But the, you know, the, the other two, Joshua and Caleb, say, oh, man, but, but God is our God. God is going to give it to us. And so guess, guess who won that argument? Or that, that you know, if we're going to vote, you know, pretty much the, the children of Israel in, in not trusting God, not putting their trust in God, they... Uh, they decided, oh, why did you bring us out here? We're going to go in and we're just going to die. We should have stayed in Egypt. They started complaining. And as a way of punishment, what, what did God do? You know, 40 more years wandering around in the desert. How many would be excited about that? 40 more years wandering around the desert. Well, there's also an incident we could talk about because they're complaining that God sent venomous snakes to afflict them and and he had to prepare a, a staff to, to save him from that. Uh, even up to the story where the Amorites attacked him. You know, there's, there's troubles all the way through. But it seems like, I'll say it again, 
a lot of the trouble that they faced was of their own doing. They, they were sometimes their worst enemy was themselves. Here, here's what happened. Last week, we talked uh, specifically over a story that encompassed chapters 23 and 24, 22, 23, and 24 uh, of Balaam. In chapter 25, uh, another problem arises, and it sounds like this is something of their own doing, and, and in part it is. But, but I'm going to read chapter 25, verses 1 through uh, let's see, 1 through 5. Um, and I will say that, that at the end of chapter 24, Bala, it, it says that Balaam takes off. After, after all the blessing he did over Israel, which Balak did, wanted otherwise, he wanted them to curse him. But instead, he laid blessings upon the children of Israel. Then he goes home. 25. Here, let's, let's read these five verses. 25 verse 1 says, While Israel was staying in Shittim, now, that's that territory east of the Jordan. That's it. We're, we're talking uh, well up close to 2 million people. When, when it comes to the time of crossing, they do another. Matter of fact, after this chapter, the second census, chapter 26, uh, just the men alone came to a great total of, of like over 600,000 uh, men, just the men alone. And I think that might have even been focused upon soldiers. And so you can imagine, you add women and children, you're well over a million people. Well over, and even up to maybe two million. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the... The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the bell of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord. So that the Lord's fierce anger may be turned away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. I want to, we, we don't see this in the text, but within this text, there is an enemy in the shadow. There, there's a, an enemy who is existing in the shadow and, and he's very active. And, and man, if, if I tell you today that we have an enemy who, who we don't see that's very active, we, we know who that is. You know, that Satan very much is, is aggressively acting uh, to, to uh, cause you, in, to bring you, to cause you or bring you into sinfulness, uh, to be, make you disobedient before God. There's an enemy that's against you, would love to see you fall. And so in this opportunity today, I, I just want you to beware of the enemy. Beware of the enemy. I want to talk about that enemy a little bit more. I want you to know who that enemy is. So here are some details about the enemy that, that we face through this passage, through this story. First of all, our enemy's tactic is deceitful treachery. Do you know who that enemy in the shadow is? It's Balaam. It's Balaam. Balaam is that enemy who is deceitful. Matter of fact, that's why I say treachery. He is a prophet of God. 
He's one who speaks and communicates with God. And that's why I say it's deceitful treachery uh, as part of it. Balaam is, is the mastermind of what took place in, in Numbers chapter 25. The, the, the sexual immorality leading to, to uh, uh, idolatry action from Israel. There, there's a way, you know, uh, matter of fact, and, and, and the reason I come to that is later on, Numbers 31. Numbers chapter 31. Matter of fact, that whole chapter in Numbers 31 is God is sending uh, the armies of Israel, like 12,000, to go wipe out the Midianite people because they were allied with the Moabites. Midianites, Moabites were allied together in, in attacking Israel. And, and so in here, uh, it gets to verse 15, I think it's going to be up here. He says in 15, they're supposed to be wiping out everybody. He says, have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident. So that, is, uh, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Balaam. Balaam is the Osama bin Laden of Numbers 25. He's the one that went to Balak, probably, probably to Balak and, and maybe many nights and said, okay, so listen, uh, uh, laying a curse upon these people didn't work. Here's what you do. Go to the back door. Go in the back door. Go into the place where they actually would welcome you into the camp. So what did they do? How, how did they proceed? Let's send the women. Let's send the women. Let's seduce them. Let's entice them is what the scripture said. Always think about Naomi's advice to Ruth. What do they do? Hey, wash yourselves. I believe adorn yourselves. Maybe jewelry. Maybe something smelling really good. Maybe show a little skin. I, I, I don't know exactly what all the enticement was about. But I do know that that, that seems to be a, a pretty dominant uh, function of women. They're able to do that. And so uh, they sent... These Moabite, these Midianite women into the camp and enticed the men into sexual immorality. And not only that, but they, then they found themselves seated at a table eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol. Sacrificed to Baal. And also bowing down to worship their gods. Oh my goodness, how far they come. It was through their seduction that they were able to do that. It came in through the back door. Now, they couldn't, they weren't able, no one was able to attack them, you know, with weapons and armor, uh, wiped out again, wiped out Sihon, wiped out Og, wiped out so many armies up to then. So that tactic wasn't working. Let's go in again, the back door. It's the same tactic that Satan uses on you and I. Back door. You know, we don't need to be fearful of demons coming and jumping out at us and, and attacking us or, or, or anyone attacking us full frontal. You know, could it happen? Who knows? But where the enemy has been most effective is that back door attack. Is where he comes in and he appeals to your desires, to your appetites. He made his appeal uh, they, they were making their appeal to the appetites of the Israelites' lust. And it was successful. It was successful. Later on, 24,000 Israelites 
died as a result of this. It was successful. It was successful. It is a tactic of Satan that he uses on us. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he said this to the, the Pharisees. Talk about people who were, who were so deceived. It was the Pharisees. I mean, they thought they were the people of God, right? They thought that, man, they were so righteous. And so, God, matter of fact, God is lucky to have a Pharisee around, right? God is so fortunate to have a Pharisee. If you're, if you're living the Pharisee's life, boy, God is so fortunate to have you uh, is the kind of thing. But here's what he said to the Pharisees. And, and, uh, John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Remember Eve and the temptations, all the lies he laid out? Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's, that's his great strength, is his deceitfulness. He came into the camp. He deceived them. That was the backdoor method. And, and man, some of us today are listening to his lies and going in a direction that's completely opposite of God. Matter of fact, uh, there's another detail about the enemy I think is really important for you to hear. His objective is to create in you unfaithfulness to God. That's his great objective. You know, oh, for you to sin or, or something like that, yeah, that's, that's not good. But overall, his objective is he wants you to be unfaithful to God. He, he definitely doesn't want you to be faithful towards God. He wants you to be unfaithful. Now, Balaam, let's go back to last week, what we were talking about. Balaam was unable to turn God against his people. He was enabled to, to uh, be able to speak curses over God's people, this prophet of God. Instead, what did he do? He stepped up and he blessed them with his words. He blessed them. Man, Balak was going crazy. What are, what are you doing? You keep blessing them. Finally, just had, every time you speak, all you're doing is blessing them. You could, why was he unable to, to curse? Why was this prophet of God unable to curse the Israelites? A simple answer. Because God is consistently faithful. God, I, I thought about that song this morning. I don't think we sing it. Hopefully my memory's not that bad. Uh, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. Uh, a good friend of mine I was sitting down with this week, he said that song brings him to tears. Me too. Me too. It's an amazing song. All my life God has been faithful. Even the difficulties, even the times I want to blame him. But he's been faithful. And God in this situation with Balaam trying to speak uh, curses against him, was not able to. Why? Because God is faithful. So Balak said, or so Balaam told Balak, here's what you need to do. If you can't cause God to be unfaithful, bring his people to unfaithfulness. That's where you're going to find success in overcoming these people. Do you hear that? The enemy's great pursuit is to cause his people to be unfaithful. The enemy's great pursuit is to cause his, and when I say his people, I'm talking about us, right? I just want to make sure we're in tune with this. He is, his enemy is, is trying to cause you and I to be unfaithful to him, to follow after our, our, dece our, our, our idolatrous hearts or the desires that we follow after. Again, 24,000 died. It was effective. Uh, it was a very effective. 
they became unfaithful through their sinfulness. Should we take sin seriously? I mean, we have grace. Matter of fact, Ronnie Roberts, why are you talking about sin? If, if we're going to talk about sin and pound us about sin, then, then all the new people who come in here, they're, they're not want to come back because you're talking about truth. <laughs> hey, listen, I want you to understand about the great harm and consequences of sin. Because... If you don't understand, if you don't understand the, the depravity of sinfulness, the great harm of sin, how could you ever appreciate the grace that he's given? If we don't realize the, the, the depths of our sin, the ugliness of our own sinfulness, how are we ever going to appreciate the grace that he's, he's poured out upon us? Oh man, that what Jesus, and what Jesus bore upon the cross. He bore our sins. That's where we receive forgiveness of those sins. Oh, man, I, I keep on wanting to jump ahead to the New Testament because that's a great story that we're a part of. But here, it, it, it's a little different. In Exodus chapter 20, God's already laid out you know, the, the laws for him, and it's very clear. He, he said in the first commandment, he said, You shall have no other gods before me. The second law is, hey, do, You will not create any graven image to worship. In that, he says, you shall, not, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Our, our God, I like that about God. I like that. He desires our, no, he, he desires us. He desires our faithfulness. Those in Christ, if you're in Jesus, he desires you to be faithful to him, not dabbling in sins, not, not uh, trying to indulge in your, in, in your lust or your gluttony or your greed. He, he wants you to, to, to continue to look to living a life that's going to be holy. In, this, in the New Testament, it calls us to live a life that's going to be pleasing to God. That is holiness. That is holiness. I think we can learn a lot from the Israel. Israelites in this. God does not want us to have idolatrous hearts, but hearts that are focused upon him. How do we respond? Here's really a part I need to get to. I mean, we look at the enemy, we say, oh yeah, he's a deceiver, we know that. He, he goes in through the back door, so that's what you want to watch the back door. But, but also, his great objective is to cause us to be unfaithful. Remember those two things. But how do we respond our response must be to identify and remove. That's real easy. Identify and remove what will cause unfaithfulness. Uh, identify and remove what will cause unfaithfulness. Now, the response, you got to love the Old Testament. Don't ignore the Old Testament. Because I believe in the Old Testament, we see the, the, the image that we're laid out on how they dealt with sinfulness is both aggressive and extreme. Uh, severe, even severe. In the, in the story that we just looked at, look, what, look in this passage of how they dealt with this sinfulness. It said that God's anger arose because of what was going on. I mean, the, the sexual sin, not only the sexual sin, but it caused them to bow their knee to another God, this jealous God. So what did he do? Well, he told Moses, you get your guys together and you go out slay the leaders. 
And when he talks about leaders, he's talking about those who were involved in this, maybe led out in, in this sexual sin, this sexual immorality. You, you execute them, and then you hang them out in the sun. It, it is to be a deterrent for the rest of the nation. Pretty aggressive and extreme. And today, man, if you did that, oh, good grief. Uh, for, for just sexual sin and, and, you know, man, just bowing to another God. I, uh, we would find all kinds of excuses that that's, it should be okay. I can't believe he went to that extreme. But he did. And it was necessary. It's necess- if we understand the, the place of sin and the unfaithfulness and how it w- had the ability to spread, we understand the deterrent. Not only was it that, God also laid a, uh, a plague upon the people of Israel. And in that plague, again, 24,000 died. There was an incident, actually begins in 6, I'll let you read that later. But, but there was a, a, in the midst of them dealing with this sinfulness, there was some weeping and going on in the camp. And, and a young Israelite man brought a Moabite woman into the camp. And, and right in the face of Moses, walked by, uh, went into his tent uh, to, to be with her. And, and a, a man named Phineas, uh, who was a son of a priest, went and got a spear. And went right in after him. And, and then stuck them both to the ground. Killed them both. And, and in the scripture, later on, I think it's verse 13, that it said that the, this action of Phineas was a zealous, uh, was because he was zealous for God's honor. Zealous, and, and God's anger was stayed. The plague ended through that act. I'm, I'm sorry, that seems real extreme. Aren't you glad that that's not something that we do today? Because of sinfulness? And what's changed? Oh, we're, we're a little bit more accepting of sinfulness today. That's, that's what it is. We're more, we're more merciful and, and forgiving of sinfulness. I, I don't think we want to take our eyes off of the, the harm and the ugliness of sin. We, we know when we look overall what's taking place, Israel actually had a cancer that was taking place. And, and, and it, was, it was ugly. I mean, you know what cancer is. And, and that sin was a cancer that existed there. And the way they treated it is like a surgeon would attack and take care of cancer. You cut it out, right? And you remove it. You're not nice to it. Then you do all kinds of treatments, whether chemo or radiation. You attack the cancer. And in, in the Old Testament, it looks like what they do. And to tell you honestly, sin is like a cancer to our soul. It absolutely is. It is destructive. It is destructive. Sin, what, what sin does, it creates a wedge between us and our creator. God has hated sin so much and, and has sent his son to remove that wedge so that we can be in relationship with him. It does not change uh, between God of what he thinks of sin. He hates sinfulness. He cannot uh, tolerate unfaithfulness in his people. So, so we need to be aggressive in, in how we deal with sinfulness. There, there's a couple places in the New Testament, I believe, that we get, there's evidence of a, kind of an aggressive uh, action to remove sinfulness. Number one is, is to the letter in Corinth. Paul wrote uh, in chapter 5, first few verses, if you go there and read that, 
there, there's actually someone within the church, a man within the church, who is involved in an incestuous relationship with his uh, father's wife. And, and I think it was out there in the open. And, and, and matter of fact, there's this idea that he was, he was just talking about how wonderful grace is. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm involved in this sinful business, but isn't, isn't God's grace wonderful? Well, I'm involved in this sinfulness. And Paul rebukes this church and says, you need to deal with this sin, this cancer. And so the way you deal with it is, hey, you turn him over to Satan. You, you cut him out. You, you excommunicate. You, you move him out of the church. And, and the reason was because, oh, he's so evil. The reason was is so that he would repent. It was for his own soul. But it's also for the soul of the church. They can't, can't accept or we, we should not be able to, to continue with such a, an attitude within the church. Hey, God has given us grace not so we could abuse it. I believe in Hebrews he talks about wiping our feet on Jesus if we just continue to repeat our sinfulness. If we have this attitude of, oh man, I, I could just indulge my appetites and, and be involved in all kinds of sinful things in the week. And then, hey, but when I go to church on Sunday, you know, we take communion and things. And I'll ask for forgiveness. Everything will be okay. That's the attitude of the man in, in 1 Corinthians 5. If he was abusing the grace of Jesus, what Jesus did for us. The suffering he did upon the cross. How could we ever think of ourselves as people who worship God and have that kind of attitude? That kind of attitude is unfaithful before God. That's an unfaithful attitude before God. We need to pursue and, and, and live faithfully before him. The other verse that, that uh, is actually a verse I've embraced myself, my life, and when it comes to struggles and sins. I love Hebrews chapter 12. Right after that, that faith chapter, it talks about how I had to live, you know, the great cloud of witnesses. But there's a phrase in there that says, throw off everything that hinders and that sin that so easily entangles. And then it gives that imagery of running the race. You know, Randy, I'm going to throw off everything that's going to hinder me from running this race or living my life on behalf of Jesus. I'm going to throw everything off that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Oh, what's entangling you? What's hindering you from living that faithful life before God? The, the place you look is always in the back door. You know, what's there? What, what are the desires where the temptations seem to lie? And, and, and to be taken. I, I, will, I will tell you just personally, some years ago, uh, this, was, this was on the computer. I, I actually got a program that whatever I'm looking at on the computer, my wife is getting a report for. Why? Well, because there's temptation there. Okay, I'm just, I, man, I'm being real transparent. I, I wanted my wife, you know, we had conversations. She's been a huge part of, of my growing in Christ and, and she would receive, if there's anything questionable, she was able to see it. And we had a few conversations, says, hey, what's this? And it was uncomfortable. And I will tell you, it's glorious. Because in, in that, being, not, not keeping it to myself, because that's what we're prone to do, right? We have those things that, boy, I could keep it to myself. But I will tell you, man, to, to 
to throw off everything that hinders and, and the sin that so easily entangles. There's places I shouldn't be. There's some things I shouldn't be watching. There's, there's people I shouldn't be in relationship with. There is an activity of a believer who loves God and wants to be faithful to Him. How, how do we, you got to live carefully? You know, you know the temptations, you know the places. It's not the same for everybody. You know, that, that device, uh, tracking or something like that, I've, I wasn't even sure it's still around, so I did a look this morning. They're still tracking things that, that others could see your history. Or be able to look. And, and maybe guys, maybe what we need is some other guys who, who knows or are able to see, you know, if, if we're confessing, man, I have a problem with some pornography. And, and I want you, to, I want you to, to be able to see, see if I'm tripping up and, and falling in anything. I want you to see what I'm, I'm doing. And man, that, that sounds, oh, we, we don't have that problem here. <laughs> Ronnie, where are you going? The, the truth is we... We are going to continue to have difficulties with sin. There's some of us that are wrestling and are hindered in having the kind of life that's going to be honoring of God. Let's talk about sinfulness. Let's talk about sinfulness. Because in the midst of that, we're going to have a, a, a time to celebrate coming before the Lord and celebrating His body and His blood. If we understand the condemning effects, the terrible effects of sinfulness, how absolutely precious, how absolutely glorious it is to celebrate what Jesus did on our behalf. Isn't that right? Are you with me? Isn't that right? That's the kind of life he deserves for all the love he's given us. For the sacrifice of a Savior that's come and, and, and has so freely given to where we could be redeemed in a relationship with a God who loves us incredibly and is going to be jealous of us. Oh, and, and, and wanting us to be faithful to him. Listen, I do believe that if we're talking about us today, Israel, Israel was its own worst enemy. I do believe that at times, most of the time, we're, on, we're our own worst enemy. There's bad things that could happen that's in our face but we're our own worst enemy when it comes to the things of that back door. Watch it. Watch it. And guard it. Let's be the church together. You know, if you're having difficulties or something like that during the invitation time, that's going to be part of the invitation. Man, are you struggling with something? Don't be silent. Don't, oh, I'm going to overcome it. I've been there before. I've done that before. Oh, man, I'm going to, I'm going to conquer. I'm going to put all the... No. What helped is when I'm honest and I've got a couple of brothers or even my wife involved in saying, checking me out and helping me through. That's the church. That's the church. It really is. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for this day. Lord, it's difficult to go through a message of, of sin. Lord, I've been sweating it all week, but I've also been coming before your presence and I had to, I had to admit my sinfulness. Those places where I am not guarding well. And so, Lord, as we're together, I pray, Father, that we're examining ourselves. What are those places where temptation is having some success? What are those places where we're failing to continue in our faithfulness before you? We, Lord, our great desire is to be faithful before you. 
You're deserving of our hearts. You're deserving our full attention in our minds for us to live wholly inwardly as well as outwardly. Oh, Lord, it's a journey for us. So we ask that along this journey, you know and receive, you will be receiving our repentance and, and the correction that, that's needed. But we praise you, Father, more than anything for Jesus. The message that we have that, that we could continue to be faithful even in, in the times where we fail. That your grace and your mercy is so perfect and it just reveals how loving you are. Lord, we don't deserve Jesus, yet you gave him freely. And we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.